Hello, my name's Gregory Wilker. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Live with Greg. Today is November 17th, 2019, and last night I learned that my podcast had way exceeded the resources I have to keep it alive as a video podcast. So I am actively working to move it to an audio podcast. The video is still available on my website, gregorywoker.com, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Live with Greg. Thanks for your support. Greg. What's happening? Another tricky day. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Technical difficulties. <laughs> location difficulties. Lo- location issues. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's life. That's the film business. That's everything. It is. You know, a lot of people have location issues with where they live. Yeah. You know, they're not happy with it or whatever. They think it... Which I think you ultimately live in your head. You don't live in, like, San Francisco. You live in your head that's in San Francisco. So people think a geography change will change their life or their spirit or their attitude. But if you you have to work on up here, you know. Because no matter where you are, I have a wealthy friend that said he was in Hawaii and he was at this, he had a penthouse. He's really wealthy. He's like, he was miserable. And he realized, like, wait. I'm not in, I'm in Hawaii, but I'm in my head that's in Hawaii. And if you don't clear that up, then it doesn't matter where you are, you know. You're going to feel the same. So what do you do to clear your head? Uh, I think you have to, I think gratitude helps. I think, you know, being grateful, um, looking at what you do have, you know, the the glass half full you know theory it works like um, also have a world view you know you have to have a world view of like okay you know the other world's population like half of them don't have clean water or you know sanitation so it's like well I have that you know and I have a phone and I have a car or whatever you have you know you're already leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of people so you have to take a step back it's really easy to get into the privileges of America and be so like well I need this and I need that and I don't have this and I don't have that but if you put yourself against you know people that are really lacking you can realize like well wait a minute I have, like, leaps and bounds more than the average person in this country or that country. And you have to be grateful and appreciate that and try to enjoy moments, you know, day by day. And a lot of people, I think, live life in, like, five years, the five-year plan or the five years from now. And a lot of people hit me up about goal. Oh, what goals did you set in New Year's resolutions? I'm like, one year I didn't, like, my best year, I had no resolutions. I was like, I don't care. I don't have anything. I have no expectations for this year. And it was a great year. And a lot of things happened. So I'm not a goal person because goals can um, lead to disappointments. And then people get so caught up in, I didn't hit that goal. I'm 40 or I'm 50 or I'm 45 and I, I had these goals and I didn't hit them in life and they, they get depressed and they get disappointed. And so I don't believe in that. You know, um, I think a day is a goal. Uh, what's my goal? I'm, I'm going to make it to bed today, go to sleep, wake up and go back at it tomorrow. That's a goal. I don't know. I'm just different. I don't like people are so goal-oriented and they feel like you have to have it or you won't achieve it it's like you know i live life like opposite like i'm waiting to see what it presents me instead of what i present it if that makes sense a little bit you've got your feet in the entertainment industry yeah so how do you deal with that moment when you've put a lot of energy into like an audition and they look at you and go, nah, you're not the right guy. Well, luckily, I worked in the casting side, and I know it has nothing to do with me or my gifts or my talents. or It could be my hair color. It could be my eye color. It could be um, I'm playing the brother of somebody, and I don't look like him. It could be 
they already gave it to Ryan Gosling. It could be, you know, you know what I mean? Like, they, there's another actor. Or you can't get into the rhyme or reason of it. Yeah, you get bummed on things you're close on, and you're like, oh, man, that would have been cool to do. But then, you know, it wasn't for you, and there's other experiences. And I also think that you can take a break and walk away and shows your strength and power because Hollywood is just a big machine that keeps going. You can leave, you come back, it's the same thing. It doesn't change much, you know, but you have to protect yourself. And I tell actors that all the time, like, just enjoy it. Enjoy the journey of whatever it is because I see so many disheartened actors and discouraged and down and because this didn't happen or that didn't happen and, and I, I hear pe- actors say oh I'll, I'll give it two years or three. well what needs to happen in two years a commercial a movie you know some they booked a play and a com- commercial is that enough or do you need a big movie or do you like what are you giving two years to it's it's um if you want to act in Hollywood it's a life decision it's like uh, you know like 50 Cent get his movie Get Rich or Die Trying it's like get an acting job or die trying getting one you know and you it's it's like a marriage it's a lifelong commitment it's a relationship love hate better or worse richer it's richer or poor it's it's vows how you're married if you want to you know if you want it you got to be you got to be willing to put a ring on hollywood and say look richer poor better or worse we're doing this you know and that took me years like i i came in like everybody else like uh, you know stardom and big and Oscars and it's like then you know 15 years in I'm like I, I take a step back and I call it, it's, it's the Hollywood casino I've realized that sometimes it has nothing to do with your talent or where you studied or it's you know you go you're a doctor you get a USC like you know medical degree you can go work in any hospital or ER room or whatever whereas you get an acting degree you don't know if you're going to be the next, you know, you know, Ryan Gosling or not, or George Clooney. Like, you just don't know. You know, it's all right time, right place, right role, right character. There's things that have nothing to do with you. Those are all variables. It's like playing the lotto or gambling or roulette or dice or poker. You're just playing a hand in Hollywood and you're hoping that, you know, you're a better bluffer. <laughs> <laughs> so when's the last time you experienced a true doubt, true end of the rope? End of the rope. Hmm. I don't know if I've been at the end of the rope. I think I think as I've gotten older, you flirt with the end of the rope. It's a fun like date or flirting. <laughs> You're married, but you're gonna flirt with darkness. Yeah, you're gonna, you just, you're married, but you know you want a little attention. Um, you know, I that's a touchy subject. I had a friend who was an actor, and he commi- he jumped off the bridge in Pasadena, and he committed suicide. And he had he booked so man, he he had the career everybody would want. Like he was the face of Tommy Hilfiger, the face of Polo, Louis Vuitton. He did big studio films, was an actor in all of them. And, you know, he just got older and he was very big on age. And I think people need to stop being so age conscious. And, you know, I think age is a state of mind. If you feel 30, be 30. And I don't like people that look down, oh, well, he acts like a kid or he's a big kid. Well, good for him, you know, because we all know as adults that childhood was the best time. We Nobody told us. Nobody told us that secret. I wish my parents would have said, hey, look, stay there. Enjoy this because it's going to be the best time of your life. You know, adult, adulting as they call it, um, you know, isn't as fun as being a kid where these grown-ups have all the responsibilities and like they're handling the rent and the bills and you're just like, I just have to play with my toys. That's it. My only job, do my homework, play with my toys. So... Um, yeah, it's a sensitive subject. You know, the end of the, I try to help people with it. For me, I saw parents, you know, I've, I've been around suicide and I saw parents' reactions and families and destroy people. So for me, from my mind to even 
go anywhere near there, you think of your mom. You think of you're not even like entertaining it because you're like, you know, the pain it causes. Um, because you can literally kill them. And I feel like my friend, I was like, he might as well have dragged his dad. His dad was seventy. You might as well take your dad off the bridge with you because he's dead. He may be alive and enjoy like enjoying the moments he can, but inside you're dead, you know, because it wasn't a car accident, it wasn't a murder, it wasn't a um, you know, fluke, it was like control. But then at the same time, I have sympathy for somebody that gets that far and I, I feel for them to be in that type of pain, I'm like, it must have been really bad. It must have been that bad. Very overwhelming so i have sympathy on both sides of the um conversation you know but yeah it's it's touchy man and um you know it's it's uh well you have kids like it's different you know my friend didn't have the everybody was talking about all his friends have kids and stuff and married if you have kids like you 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 live for your kids and i haven't experienced that but um you obviously have kids and it's the most selfless thing you can do is be a parent. It's not about you. Your life, your job, your making income has nothing to do with you. It's not about, oh, where am I going to go and spend the money for my paycheck? Where am I going to go have pleasure and enjoy myself? And it's, wait, where's my kids going to go to school? Where are they going to go live? Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? You know? And that's why I stay open to that. I I would want to be a parent because I I even take after seeing a lot of great parents around me. I'm like, am I selfish? I just live this selfish life of like, what do I want to eat today? And I want to go get a massage, and I want to you know drink whatever I want. And I you know, if I was a parent, it's like, what do they want? What do they need? What do you know? You take it off yourself, which I believe can be very therapeutic and necessary i've seen some people saved by having children before they were very selfish very um into their head very heady and then they had a kid and they realized oh shit i don't have time to be about myself or what am i feeling today i have to think about this young life this human being that i have to take care of and nurture you know, I could be suicidal. I could be down, but I don't have time to know whether I'm down or not. Whereas people who are single and don't have children have time to think. They're like, hmm, what went wrong with my life? What went right? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing right? What are my goals? What did I? Pl- what didn't happen? What were my failures? Whereas, like as a parent, it's like your success and failure is in raising that child. You know. And I think it's a beautiful thing. I think that's what uh, that's what it's all about. I think kids can save people's lives because it, it puts a mirror on them and says, "Hey, it's not about you anymore." You know, get off your pity party and you know help this kid get to school and have you know have a good life that you may not have had or had. You know. So. <clears throat> You said you sometimes question for yourself, are you a selfish being because you are single now yeah. and then? Yeah. But there's two things in my head about that. One is your talk about gratitude. Yeah. And that seems just healthy for anyone. Yeah. To find gratitude, even in as their mind is going into the worst scenarios and they're playing yeah. out their failures, quote unquote. Yeah. You know, but to have gratitude and also I see selflessness in your success your success not just in the film industry and entertainment industry yeah but even you know you're up here with other business yeah comes from a selfless place that success because your thought process is how can this entity succeed I've not, I never thought of it that way, but that that is interesting. And I also think about you always got to catch yourself like, who am I loving today? Who who is in my life that I can love? Um, Because that's obviously the most powerful 
thing on earth is love. You can't see it. You don't know what it looks like under a microscope, but you've felt it and have seen it. And um, part of trying to get away from the selfishness is, do I have time to love on somebody in some way, a friend, a family member, and chasing? And I, I felt, for me personally, like it's like I have to catch myself. I'm like, oh, I need to, like, I have people to love. There is people to love on. But for me, I've lost a lot of people, obviously, like family, my dad, my brother, one of my best friends who I just mentioned. And uh, so you kind of, you get this like, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't love somebody too much or like be careful because they could be gone tomorrow and like you're going to get attached or whatever. Um, But then the other side of you is like the wrestling, the side you're wrestling with is like, do, what's the saying you know it's better loved and lost than not unloved at all and you wrestle with that it's a wrestling match of like you know what F it do it anyway just love on them anyway <clears throat> appreciate them anyway do things for them anyway not wanting anything in return and not expecting them to live to be 90 and that's the hard thing and I, I'm just, that's like more of like a for me you know sometimes you I say you end up pre, you know, when you talk and people ask you questions like what you're doing, you end up preaching to yourself and you're like, oh, I never thought of that, but it came out of my mouth. But that, yeah, for me, it's like, you know, it, it all comes down to like, do it anyway. And despite the bad results you've seen, cause I've seen a lot of bad, tragic endings and results. And it's like, you know, do it anyway. And the results are the results and at least you again I, I go back to that that quote's very powerful it's better loved and lost than not loved at all because then you just that's not fun you know and there's things there's moments you can't take back or you can't get back you know like when you're you have kids so like when they first run into your arms you haven't seen them in a while they missed you they missed their dad they missed their mom you know that's love that's things you can't um a price on you can't put a feeling on it you can't put a lot of things on it and you have to go back to the basics always in my mind i have to go back to the basics okay forget the situation you're in what do you have because a lot of people don't ask that they always ask they always focus on what don't i have i don't drive the car that i want i don't live in the neighborhood i wanted to i don't have the boyfriend or girlfriend i wanted to well what do you have well, I have a studio apartment. That's something. I have a TV. I don't have cable, but I have Netflix. Cool. Um, you know, I don't have, um, you know, the career or job I want. But you have a job. I'm not making the money I want. But you have money. You know, it's like you have to just... Simple, man. You just... You know, even this year I had a rough year and it's like, you just, when it's slow, you're just like, I'm so simplified that it's like anything tickles my feather. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, a sit down dinner, three course meal. Great. You know, I think I even saw one of your social media posts on your feet, the fountain. Yeah. And it looked like you were just loving that moment. Yeah, and that's what I post. I post moments on my social media because I feel like I want people to have insight on what I'm looking at. I've always been that way. Before social media, I have I catch myself because I'm always like when I first did, did movies in Mexico and I, we started going to the the, the uh, studio where they did Titanic. I'd be there and I'd be like, "Oh man, I wish my brother could see this. Oh man, I wish my girlfriend could see this. Oh, I wish so and so was with me. I wish somebody was with me to just." Witness this, and maybe that's selflessness. Maybe that's just how I'm built. Of like, ah, I want somebody to see this with me. It's not about me just seeing it. I want, I need people to experience this with me. That's probably why I throw a lot of parties and why, you know, we started the film program in Mexico and I brought so many friends down and actors down and people down, including yourself. Because I'm like, ah, you got to see what I'm seeing. You got to experience what I'm experiencing. You know, you got to eat what I'm eating, you know, and I think that's me in a nutshell. I don't have as much fun. Like, I enjoy going ahead and seeing something new that nobody's seen. 
or that a lot of people I know haven't seen, but I also, but I enjoy more showing. I'm a shower. Like I like touring and you know, I'm a pretty good host. I like to think, um, you know, like when you're in Mexico, like I wanted to, sh- here's the breakfast spot. This place has the best tacos. This place has the best lobster. Like I'm into that. Like I like taking people to my favorite restaurant there or anywhere. And like being like, even in Hollywood, I've discovered new spots and I love taking people to that spot. And all my friends there are like, man, all you talk about is, I was like, I always have, I find something, discover a new spot. And I just have to like nail it into people. Hey, come here, come here, come here. You got to see this. You got to check it out. And a lot of people, you know, enjoy that. And I had a, a friend and, um, there's a spot in Hollywood. It's called Lono and it's all Hawaiian themed. And it's like right on Hollywood Boulevard in the tourist trap spot where it's not as glamorous. And I was like, you've got to come to look like it's such a good vibe. They do the like tiki drinks with they light it on fire and it's like Hawaii and there's a vibe and nobody believes me because it's on this bad, you know, not so glamorous spot. But it's also by Musa and Frank, which is a famous grill, famous restaurant, high end. But anyway, um, I brought a friend that lives in Beverly Hills and drives like, you know, I don't know, $500,000 car, picks me up in a half million dollar car. We're going to Lono. Okay, it's in Hollywood. I don't really hang out there. Well, just come with me. Trust me. And that night, the DJ, like, we got there, and, and, and the DJ was playing, like, Britney Spears via 1999, and, like, all these throwback and cool songs, and this person was like, this is awesome. Like, they're playing the cool music, and then there was this guy that came there that was, like, 75, 80 he spun her around and dipped her and twirled her and she like was laughing the whole time like had fun and this is somebody that goes to like mansion parties in the high end society of Beverly Hills with the richest of the rich and just had fun coming to a simple place like that and that's what for me I like to show people like it's not always about like the glitz and the glamour and Hollywood life or like the, the finer things in life as they call them, you know, sometimes the simpler things in life are more finer than the finer things in life. And, you know, could be your favorite dive bar or your, you know, some little two for one spot special, but it's, it's really, it's not, then you realize it's not really about the place. It's about who you're with and who you're around, you know, like last summer I went out all summer with a group of girls and we go to like cool Malibu spot, all these spots. And then I just like one day I was like, I think it was a holiday or something. I was like, let's just barbecue by my pool. And like, I had a little Bluetooth speaker box and play good music. And we did that. And they were like, this is the most fun I've had all summer. And it was the cheapest thing to do. It's just get a speaker box, the Bluetooth hang by the pool with people you care about that you get along with barbecue on the grill and just enjoy each other's company whereas i feel like when you go to like events in hollywood or certain spots it's like these girls probably have to be oh how do i look do i look better than her am i dressed right politics who's gonna see me who's not gonna see me is my ex gonna be there there's all these pressures how do i look do i look better than her or him or whatever it's all these pressures of going out in hollywood where if i bring you to my pool all that goes away Nobody's going to see you there. There's no pressure. So they're able to be themselves, enjoy, like listen to the good music, control the music. It's also about control, which I have control issues. But like I, if I control the music, I know where to get people like going and what song brings back memories. And, you know, whereas if you go to a spot and pay, you know, $15 for a drink, they're controlling the music. You're paying all that money and they get to play what they want to play, even if you don't like it or it doesn't bring back a memory or a feeling for you. So I like to control, set the mood, control the environment. In fact, for my one birthday, all I wanted to do was MC my own birthday. That's that's like that year. I was like, it was like two years ago. I was like, I just want to MC my own birthday. I want to play the music, control the music. I want to give people shout outs as they walk in the door. Like, Hey, it's Greg from the Bay, you know, and make them feel welcome. And I rented out this, um, this spot in Koreatown where they had like karaoke usually but they had this like 70 person room and with a microphone and a bluetooth and you just wired it to your phone and I had the mic and I could give people shout outs control the music 
and that's all I wanted to do. Like, I didn't want to, like, be in the party. Like, I wanted to MC the party. Because I had emceed a lot of birthdays and weddings, and I was like, I want to do my own birthday. Like, I get to, like, MC my own birthday. That's fun. So, but that's just how I think, you know. So, have you found ways to tra- traverse the high end glitz of Hollywood and Southern California with a Zen mindset? Yeah. Um,. It takes time, but you eventually realize people are people, you know. We all have the basic needs and wants and desires. And even if you're the biggest star in Hollywood or the richest or the poorest or whatever, we all have these basic needs and wants. And, you know, we're all stimulated by similar things. And that's what that's what I... That's what that's how you separate the glit it's like you know we're all just people whether you have an oscar or not you still have insecurities like some of the biggest actors that have the awards they you're on set with them and they have the biggest insecurities and you're like dude you won like awards for what you do and you're insecure about your work so you realize to take it with a grain of salt you know everything with a grain of salt and um the guy that my brother works with, uh, it was like a close family friend of ours, John Kirby. He said that he takes every relationship in Hollywood with a grain of salt because you don't know how close you're going to be later. Or, you know, you're close now or that, you know, you just, you don't know if they're praising you one day, the next day, they're not talking to you. You know what I mean? It's, it's feast or famine town and you're on top one day, you're on the bottom. So just take it with a grain of salt, enjoy it while it's there and why it's not. If you can stay the same kilter and just be appreciative and gratitude, then you can you can have fun there. It should be fun. And I tell actors, it's like, you should be having fun. And I forgot. I forgot to have fun because of the stress of auditions and lines and blowing an audition and getting work. And you haven't worked in six months, like all that stuff. But then, like, you're in this city that has beaches and mountains and, like, uh, great the best food in the world like anything you want hot yoga cold yoga room temp yoga crazy stories you know crazy stories mountains deserts like uh, snow is not that far away like you're in this great town with so many people from so many different walks of life and personalities and background like if you if you don't enjoy that you missed out man you just like i don't know what to tell you you're like you're caught up in it and I've been there like Hollywood is a bubble. They say it's a bubble, and I firmly believe that. Because when I'm there, I don't know what's going on in the rest of the world and the country. It's like, you're there. There's no ageism there. You can be, you know, I have buddies that are 60 years old. They walk into a bar. Nobody looks at them funny. You walk into a bar in Boise, Idaho, they're like, who's this grandpa doing here? But in Hollywood, it's like, oh, he's cool, or he has a cool jacket, or I like his gray hair. I want my salt and pepper beard like that one day, like Clooney or like, you know what I mean? It's like, there's no ageism. There's not, there's some sexism, but there's not a lot of ageism. They don't really look down on you for your age in Hollywood, which is cool because then you can, you know, that's why people, they call it Neverland. They never grow up because nobody's there to say, Hey, you're old. You shouldn't be doing that. You know, which if you really want to get deep, that's where, classism, racism, it all stemmed from somebody saying something to somebody and saying, you're this and you're that. And when you take that away, like in Hollywood, people can just thrive and they don't have to feel old or young or rich or poor, you know. Um, The parts I don't like is that designer. I don't like the designer thing. Like, she has Gucci. I should wear Gucci. Kylie Jenner does this Fendi bag. I want that Fendi bag. I want those Louis shoes. Like I'm anti like fashion. If you charge you know thousand dollars for a T-shirt, I think you should be arrested. Like it's just not fair. Like there's people half the world doesn't have clothing and water and food, and you're wearing a thousand dollar T-shirt. And is that designer taking that money that they're making off of you? Are they hanging out on their yachts all the time? Are they philanthropy? You know, what are they doing? 
And I hit you with a lot. Well, that goes into a deep element because, uh, you know, from a business perspective, as a filmmaker, if you have a finished film and someone says, I'll give you $12 for that, and you're like, it's worth, you know, at the best, 1.2, considering what we put into it. Yeah. But this person's offering me 12 are you going to say to them, "Ah, you know what, how about 1.2 instead? No, that's capitalism. I mean, the society we live in is capitalistic, but that doesn't happen. Like, you you have a better shot at winning the lottery, as you know. Like, somebody's overpaying for your film never, like... Rarely happens. So that, in that sense, that thousand dollar T shirt is thousand dollars because someone's buying it, not yeah. just someone. A bunch of people are buying. It. So my thing with that is, the people that are buying it aren't wealthy, but the people that make it are. So the people that aren't wealthy are making people that shouldn't be wealthy wealthy. So you know, people because of music. Gucci's, you know, said brands are said in music, social media, influencers, the Kardashians, whatever. Not to say they're the only ones doing it, but like that person working at Target living in poverty spends, they get a $500 check, they spend all of it on a Gucci bag and live poor and, you know, probably don't have central air or AC. And that money then helps some guy that invented that Gucci bag live on a yacht in the middle of France and have an amazing lifestyle because some poor person spent their last dime on your Louis bag. And that's what I don't like about capitalism and that's what I don't like about this country is and Hollywood were the most influential, especially in fashion, influential city in the world. And I just think fashion, I used to go to fashion shows and stuff, and I don't want to knock everybody because, like, Tom's, Tom's Shoes, you know, Tom's Shoes, they think 20% or a percentage goes towards helping fight hunger, gun sense. Like, they're using fashion to for a greater cause. I don't know that Gucci is, maybe they are, and I don't know it, but to charge $1,000 for a T-shirt I think is irresponsible to mankind. It's like... What are you doing with that money if you're just drinking better champagne than everybody and on a bigger boat and a yacht than everybody? You're not really doing much for society. You just look cool because you made a T-shirt that somebody's willing to pay $1,000 for. That's my problem. I wrestle with the fashion world. Bring it back to the beginning. We're living in our mind. That's what you said at the beginning of this. And... What it seems like is every individual you've touched upon, the person creating the shirt, the person who's, in essence, in poverty, buying the shirt, yourself, your opinion of it, still living in the mind. So perhaps that person who bought the shirt could be in total bliss. They don't care about central heating and air conditioning. Yeah. They don't care about having a car. They're just damn glad they've got this $1,000. Yeah. (laughs) Show their friends. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's in your mind, you know. Hey, if that makes them happy, God bless them. I mean, that's... But I can't... My mind doesn't think... My mind has to think big picture and, like, grand worldview of scope of things. That's why, like, I have family members that live like on farms like in the middle of nowhere and I can't ever like it be unfair of me to have them think the way I think or expect them to believe what I believe or have the same political views or worldviews because they never traveled the world they only see chickens and cows every day I see skyscrapers and diverse communities and like all kinds of stuff but they at the same time can't expect to know me and who I am and my thought process because they've never experienced what I experienced, you know. And, um, you know, it's the whole walk a mile in someone's shoes, you know, type thing. And, uh, you know. How do you think we can walk a mile in someone else's shoes? Um, listening listening to their stories but you also can't I don't like when somebody because they read or heard or seen or whatever 
has a judgment or opinion on something. Like, you know, working in Mexico, I hear so many things. And then I asked the person, have you been there before? No. Well, I don't know. I've been there for 10 years. I've been working there for 10 years. Like, wouldn't you trust what I'm saying more? Or like, well, I heard this and I read this and I saw in the news and it's like, well, okay, but have you been there? And I try to, for myself, um, try not to be ignorant on anything. Like, I don't want to like, you know, even like a dating app where I'm like, ah, it's stupid. You're going on a dating app. I don't need a dating app. I'm going to go do the dating app. So I don't do, so I'm not ignorant to you when you tell me, Hey, I'm on Tinder and I'll be like, oh, Tinder stupid. I can then have an opinion on Tinder myself because I did try it and experienced it. So I, I try in life not to be ignorant to anything and not have a judgment. If I don't know about something like I can't tell you about, you know, you live in Mill Valley. Like I'm, it, you know, I could have read something about Mill Valley. I could have saw something on TV about it. I could have met one person from Mid Valley and had a bad experience, but I can't make a judgment on Mill Valley. You can, cause you live there and I, I can listen to you about where you live and gain knowledge and understanding and walk in your shoes for a little bit and understand where you are. I think the biggest way to walk in somebody's shoes is find out where they come from and how they're raised and what tragedies, what, what's the good, bad and ugly that's happened in their life. Cause then you really get to walk in their shoes a little bit and understand them because you're not just the way you are because you know you're we're a product of our, of our environment and our time here on earth you know the spiritual practice you have in your life yeah do you think that has the ability to supersede the biology environment with in which we're raised yeah I believe in everything everything needs to have moderation including spirituality which probably a lot of people wouldn't agree with me on that, but you have to have a balance. You have to have spiritual, correct. It's important. It helps. It keeps you on track and on pace, but then you also have to have like, um, rationality. Rationality is important too. logic. You know, you need a balance of logic and spirituality. In my opinion, that's, that's where I look at it. Like, I think growing up, we had so much spirituality. We didn't go in logic and reason enough, tap into that enough to like save ourselves from some tragedies and, and bad things that happened. So you can't be totally delusional. You can't be so spiritual that you forget you live in like a human world with human beings and things happen. And you know what I mean? You have to have, find that common ground where you rely on spirituality for the tough times and to help others and do good things but then you have to have logic and reason because that helps people too. yeah yeah i was just thinking about david in the bible yeah and the psalms and all that and i was thinking how he was saying you know i will fear no evil and also calling out to god for to help with his enemies and stuff and i thought he was doing all that in yeah. a cave yeah. So like you're saying, he was hiding. Yeah. He was afraid for his life and he yeah. wasn't in his palace talk, you know, praying. He was hiding in a cave. Yeah. So that spoke to me what you just said. There's a physical practicality to what's real. Yeah. And yeah. And uh also you know, back to walk a mile in someone's shoes. I think if I did that, your shoes are fit to your feet. They're worn into your feet. I'm not going to feel the same things you felt. And that's what I've learned too. It's easy to say, oh, well, that happened to me or get over it or, you know, what's the big deal? But you can't tell somebody how to feel about a situation, which we try to do all the time. Um, you have to be sympathetic and that's what I try to be no matter what and I'm almost like intrigued by the person that everybody doesn't like if that makes sense like I want to know why nobody likes them why is nobody understanding them you know the person that and I get along with them the best like some of my closest friends are like people that are like they had to cut people out of their life and like you know, or a little bit confrontational. 
because I, I understand them and I took the time to understand them. And that's that's the that's the best gift you can give somebody is taking the time to understand somebody. Okay. You can buy them, you know, whatever, cars, nice clothes, but if you don't take the time to understand them, that means your kids too. Like if you don't take the time to understand your kids, you can buy them whatever you want. It doesn't mean anything, you know. That's, that's the best gift you can give somebody is understanding. That's it. Wow, that's beautiful. Is there anything else you'd like to bring up? No, man. You, but you, but you're sh- like because it. You know, I'm also about safety and comfortability. Like because I feel safe and comfortable because I've known you for a while and I know your mentality and a lot of your. I've heard a lot of your beliefs and thoughts and stuff. I think I feel comfortable in this environment with you too because I don't get asked this every day these are things I'm living every day and you don't think about them and they're just passive things in your head that you're just doing then when somebody interviews you or talks about it and questions it then you 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 start learning your beliefs by being asked questions that's why it's important to question people and listen like ask questions and listen because a lot of us don't know we have these things in us that we believe and we feel but we've never been put on the spot about them or asked about them and I think it's good I think debate's healthy people may confuse it with arguing or argument I think healthy debate is amazing when two people especially two people the opposite aisle opposite sides it's like I get along with everybody I like opposition I like difference I want to understand why they think the way they think and uh, you can't be afraid of that. And you also can't make it hostile. Like, you know, if someone supports a political figure you don't support, like, you can't just be write them off and be like, well, you like that guy, so I can't talk to you. Because you'd be surprised. You know, people have different reasons. And, and people can change their mind, you know. And you'll never change somebody's mind by arguing. It's never worked. You know, unless I read a different history book, I've never seen where arguing worked and changed somebody's mind and got, you know, got somebody's attention. But respect, respect will. That's my number one thing. Respect will change somebody's mind. That's what I was just thinking about and listening. Like, I've been in heated debates, I'd say. Yeah. Where, however, there's mutual respect throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And there's listening involved. Yeah. So when it starts spiraling, spiraling yeah. out of control where I'm no longer listening to you. Yeah. And I'm stuck in my position. Nothing, now nothing's nothing gonna, happening. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like I think about like when Jimmy Kimmel interviewed those people about um, health insurance and like Obamacare when he said the Affordable Care Act, they're like, we love that. I like Affordable Care Act. Whereas, you know, Republicans put a name on it, Obamacare. I hate Obamacare because they put a name and a face to it. Whereas they all had it and they didn't know they had it and liked it. But because there was a, uh, you know, a tampering and putting a name on it. Um, And even when I spent time in the South, you know, um, I don't like the redneck, whatever you want to call it, a southern guy, a buddy of mine, great guy. We disagree, obviously, on everything, but but we're, but but before he knew that, he respected me because I spent time with him and I treated him like a decent person. Where somebody might have called him, you know, a conservative, a whatever, uh, you know, semi-racist, whatever you want to call it, but. You know, like the reputation most people have in the South. Um, he respected me from our friendship. And we never talked politics. And then he brought something up about health insurance. I said, oh, well, I I have Affordable Care Act. Like, I like it. I enjoy it. California Exchange. Great. Well, we're paying for it. And he gave me all these things. And I'm like, well, if you feel like you're paying for it, I don't think you've ever gotten a bill for my health insurance, so you're not really paying for my insurance. But if you feel that way, take advantage of it. And he ended up signing his wife up for it because he could because she didn't work for his company. And, you know, but I don't think he ever would have done that if I didn't, if I was just confrontational and called him racist or something stupid. 
we'd have never he'd I never got his respect to change his mind. The only way to defeat prejudice is to change people's mind. The only way to change somebody's mind is you have to get their respect. And the only way to get their respect is not to be confrontational. You have to break bread. You have to just, you know, not be so sensitive. Because we live in a very sensitive climate. Um, you know, and, and it's our reactions. Warren Buffett said it. I saw a Warren Buffett quote today. Something like, don't get, don't take things personal. Don't get emotionally involved. Sit back, breathe, process. And he's like, your life will be better for it if you just sit back and process. And that's what I've always been. I've been a processor. You could call me every name in the book right now, and I'd be like, why is Greg... I wouldn't even react. i just think, like, why is Greg in this mood? Why would he call me that? Is Greg okay? Greg, what have you been doing? You know, what? You know, what, where is this coming from? And if you ask somebody where it's coming from, they'll tell you. Eventually, they'll well, calm down. They'll say, down. sorry, man, I just... My wife just left me, and my dog's sick, and, like, I just feel pressured from my boss at work, and I didn't mean to take it out on you, or, you know even homophobia well the, you know the neighbor um I had a neighbor that like man he touched me funny or whatever you know what I mean they all have you know homophobia things like that like it comes from a place race it all comes from a place it's genetic it's DNA and if you can find out what place that's coming from you can understand somebody more not to validate it or make it right but you understand why they are the way they are and you're able to show them something different but to simplify it it's respect if you can get people to respect you they'll watch what you do on social media everywhere and they'll be like huh he has a diverse group of friends he goes out with girls from you know different backgrounds and like you know get their respect and then they'll watch you and they're all watching and because you can make you can make it cool like you can make um inclusion cool you can make integration cool you can make you know donating to charity or philanthropy cool Treating women respectfully, cool. Non-misogyny, cool. By how you handle yourself. But nobody's going to watch if they don't respect you. And that's why I always try to get the respect of somebody. That's my number one thing. No matter who it is. Me and this guy, that he was a criminal defense attorney. And me and him on the gun rights issue were so polar opposites and he was so he was an NRA carrying card member and but then I listened to him and his some of his stuff made sense and I got why it was now he was um this African American criminal defense attorney and I was like why why do you have an NRA card he said he goes my parents grew up where we barely had voting right we had no right there's a group that at least is fighting for one of our amendment rights and they don't care. They're not just fighting for white, black, blue, but everybody's rights to do that. And I was like, I get it. And he goes, we've always, as a black community, we've always had to protect ourselves. And that's the only way I feel protected and safe is by having my Second Amendment rights. I stepped back and I said, oh, okay. I get why he's, I get that. I respect that. Like, I respect that that he felt like at least some group in this country where I've never we've never felt welcome or, or, or all, any, you know all the civil rights the civil war like all this crap he felt like one group was like we don't care what color you are you get that right and we're going to fight for you to have that right and it made sense to me and I was like okay I get it I'm not going to change my mind completely in the subject matter I have my own qualms with it and like things, but for him, he explained why it wasn't just like, 
it's America. We can just tote guns and shoot you. The wild, wild west. It's like if he was like, this is my specific, and he's a criminal justice lawyer. He goes, this is my specific reasons why I carry this card. And I was like, you got me, man. Because I've never walked on my own issues. I'm, I can't be him. So if that's how he felt, he felt pressure. And see, see, I don't live life like somebody's coming to get me. You know what I mean? I can't live my life like that. I can't live my life in all that fear. There's enough fears and, and, and anxieties that go around. It's like I can't live my life in somebody's coming to get me. Somebody is after me. Because if I, if I live life like that, I, it's not fun to me anymore. Then I'm always, like, looking out my window. So for me, um, not, uh, not needing that type of self-defense protection to me is more freedom. That's just me. I feel more free with that. I feel like... You know, what, uh, I'm this unarmed guy, peaceful guy. If you know, if you take my life, you know what? God bless you. You deserved it because you really. Because I'm not trying to attack you. I'm not. I don't have anything to attack you with. You know, and there's more freedom in that. Just for me, in my opinion, that what I, what I've experienced is 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 fear. You know, fear is a fear is what gives people anxiety and leaves them awake at night, and you just slowly have to get rid of the fear of your life. Not that you don't have to have... I don't believe in people are like, be fearless. Well, I'm believing fearless, fearless, walk across traffic fearless. Like, you have to have some common sense of rationality, dude. But I think you can be fearless in, I'm going to go after that job that I didn't think I could get. I'm going to move to that city that I know nobody in. Be fearless in that way. I'm not going to worry about my kids at night you know i'm not gonna like you know not let them play t-ball because i'm afraid they'll get hit in the head with a baseball like that type of fearlessness but you know i think a little and and here's my thing on anxiety because i've wrestled with it i think everybody after 30 i think it's just part of your life i mean i lost my dad and i had a whole he had a heart attack and i had this whole like I didn't even know what anxiety was or a panic attack, and I had one on a plane, and it was just all in your head. And, you know, I don't think anxiety is healthy or good, but a little bit is. You really think so? You need a little edge. You need a little work ethic. Like, it's part of your worth ethic. It's like, oh, if I don't get this done, I'm anxiety. I got to get this done tomorrow. Because if you're just thoughtless about everything, how do you accomplish anything? It could be, you know, just, what I mean? yeah. It could be just the way we define the yeah. word. Because when we were in Loretta and yeah. we needed a yacht, I would I would say frantic as the word comes to mind of how I was yeah. each day looking for a yacht. Yeah. The I'd say the difference was. From anxiety. Anxiety to me has a hopelessness to it. That's part of what's creating anxiety. The fear is coming yeah. from a place of it's it's important that it happens and it's not gonna happen. It's important that yeah. it is a certain way and it's not gonna be that way. And with that Yeah, imagine if you're thoughtless about it, just like, ah, it'll figure itself out tomorrow, we'll get one. Well you have to have a little bit of edge about it of like, okay, I gotta think about this tomorrow, like I gotta call this guy and I gotta get the boat and I gotta but if you're just passive completely about it, nothing gets done. So you have to have a little edge to you. And um people that have struggled with anxiety, they don't like when they see their family members on Xanax or something takes the edge off but completely off and they don't have that spark of life anymore it's just everything's just kind of bland you know so I think you have to have a little bit like being a parent I'm sure there's a lot of anxiety but you have to have a little bit about my kids going to the park and there's dangers there and you gotta have a little bit of cautiousness. You have to have cautiousness. I don't like to call it anxiety. I call it cautiousness because things happen, and you don't want you know you want to do the best you can and be able to say 
you know. Do you think love and fear can coexist? Love and fear. Um, as you said earlier, like, like being in love with somebody, but being afraid no, to no. be in love with them, or no. Earlier, you said love is ultimately what it's all about. Yeah. So can love and fear coexist? Yeah, because I can love someone but be afraid of losing them. Are you really loving them in that? Yeah, I think um, you can fear that something will happen to them. And I don't I haven't come to the conclusion that that's unhealthy. You know, because otherwise you just, yeah, otherwise you, you, you love them, but you don't fear for their life or you're not concerned about them getting on a plane or, I don't know. I think then again, like, you know, the definition of love, love is patient, kind, long suffering. Gives, doesn't take. Gives, doesn't take. Love and fear. That's a good question. Love and fear. You have to love somebody, though, unconditionally and fearlessly, or it won't work. You won't enjoy it. You won't enjoy the whole point of love if you love somebody with fear and conditions. Have you experienced any relationship in your life where there was no fear? Well, I'd be married if I did that. <laughs> I can tell you as one who was married. Yeah, didn't you said the fear. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I have certain friends that I just kind of like, I just accept them and love them for who they are and just, you know, don't care. I guess that's a version of loving somebody fearlessly. Like, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I think that's true love. That's when you know you're in love. You're like, it was in a movie once. He's like, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you to hurt my feelings. I'm not afraid of you to love me not love me he, you know, he says I'm not afraid of you to hurt my feelings it was, I think it was a notebook or one of those movies he's like I'm not afraid of you to hurt my feelings like I'm, I'm not scared anymore and you're so to your point it's like that's real love it's like when you're not afraid of the other person hurting you I mean what you know what can happen you know it's ultimately their choice if you're living love fearlessly it's the other person's choice to fear. And they only they can ruin it and not... Like, you're not going anywhere. They can leave you. You can never leave them. Because you love them fearlessly. So, you know... Yeah, I, I've learned, man, growing... Like, as I get older, like... And just... Like I said, like... Where you're like, oh, well, I don't have the house I wanted, but I have a studio apartment. Like, looking at the glass half full and just being optimistic and grateful of what you do have. I could be like, oh, I don't have wife or the love of my life. So I'm like, but I got a good female friend that I can love unconditionally, fearlessly, as if she was my wife. Or like, you know, learn that we're all human, we all have flaws, and just accept people for who they are. And that's cool to me. Like that's that's what I, where I'm at in my life. It's like, you know, not everybody has to be my girlfriend or wife. Like I can just have a good friend and like accept them for who they are and love them for who they are. Like despite whether people like it or not. Or and no, no, and you know their weaknesses. I have friends. I know all their flaws. I tell them about. It. Like I we we know it's a joke. It's a running joke of. You know, I think a lot of girls get hangry, like hungry and angry. And it's like, yeah, she's just hangry. But if I took it personal all the time, like, oh, why is she angry or why is she moody? It's like, you know, oh, no, she's just hangry. She doesn't eat. She just get her a hot pocket and she'll be fine. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I mean. Like, you, you just have to constantly look at what you do have. It should be a book. That's my next book. What do you have? Because uh -huh. everybody, Americans are guilty. They always love to tell you what they don't have, what didn't work out for them in life. Well, motherfucker, what do you have? You got an iPhone X. That's pretty cool. You got uh, an ex-wife. That means at least you had a wife. 
Some people will never have a wife or a spouse. They'll never experience that. You got the experience. Okay, so it didn't end up the way you wanted it. You had it. You had the experience. Now what? Now what do you have? Well, I have kids out of it. Okay, great. So then you have kids. You got an iPhone X. You got kids. You got to stick a chewing gum in your pocket. What do you have? It's like almost like empty your pockets. What do you have? Because we can all sit here for hours and talk about what we don't have and our expectations in life. But it's like, but what do we have? Well, me and you right now, we have sunset in San Francisco over the bay. We have this place we're doing this podcast at. I mean, you drove me here in a car. There was gas in the tank. What do you have? To me, like the Tony Robbins, like all that shit doesn't mean anything to me. Like, I think, what do you have? It's the ultimate motivation. But I don't have what I, but what do you have and build on that? What do you have? Okay. And based, listening to what you said a little bit earlier, though, there, you also think having that edge. So it's what do I have? And what, you also keep what do, edge yeah, there. where, yeah, and you keep the edge of like, Okay, what do I have? Build on that. Like, I have a studio apartment. I'm going to change the drapes. I'm going to paint the thing. I'm going to appreciate the hell out of the studio. And maybe one day it'll be a house. And then I can appreciate that and do a garden and, and mow the lawn. But maybe that'll never happen. So I'm going to appreciate this studio apartment as long as I got it. I'm going to paint it maybe. I'm going to put a little artwork there. I'm going to change this up. Because we all, it's just, people die and suffer life from what don't they have? What didn't they accomplish that they were supposed to? But the other side of that is it's never too late. Yes. And do you, and I'm not talking just um, lover relationships, but do you find that with your relationships with people as well, where you have gratitude for what it is, but you also have an edge in that relationship where you're like well how can it be better better and more yeah you always want to i think until we die we're always going to try to like better ourselves in some little way do things a little better if you eat bad you're going to eat a little bit better you know even at 60 70 you're gonna you know i have a weird obsession with watching elderly eat like because they enjoy it so much that always fascinated me about Babies enjoy food and, like, elderly really enjoy food. Like, that's their only nutrients. And if you just sit and watch an elderly person eat, they just are just, like, you can tell it's it's a necessity. And it's, like, they have nothing left but to enjoy that meal. Like, that's that's what you got. I don't know. I have a weird – it's weird. I like watching elderly people eat, like, eat a, like, barbecue or whatever because they're just, like, F it, man. Where so many people my age are like watching, you know, the the fat content, the saturated fats, the, the calories, the, you know, but they don't know what's coming. 20 years from now, that shit does not matter. You, you ever see an elderly person like, well, what's in this? You put a plate of food in front of somebody like 80, they're just like, oh, man. It's just good to have something, you know what I mean? And they really enjoy it. Like, if you watch an elderly person eat, they're just like, like, they just chew it and they just like, they're savoring it, you know? I will say I saw my grandmother and my great aunt yeah, and my father-in-law, who at the last few years of their life, they were kind of imprisoned by their body yeah. and their ability to physically move about on their own and they didn't like it yeah so there is possibility that being conscious of what we're yeah bringing into our body now yeah is going to affect you later on right then there's like um i believe the number one killer affecting your body is stress yes so like i have a lot of british friends and their grannies are like a hundred and they've all drank nerves. They yeah, banger. They drank gin and tonics and smoked cigarettes their entire life. This girl's like, since I knew my grandma, she smoked. She had a gin and tonic at lunch and a cigarette every day, because that was their relaxation. That was their de-stressing. A glass of red wine. Some people say <clears throat> winds them down. Whatever. It, stress is the number one killer. It's not what's in your food. Yeah, there's some effects and stuff, but. 
if you enjoy a certain food all the time and it's going to de-stress you, you're going to live longer and better and healthier, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, now, obviously, in moderation, like, you don't, you know, those people that they have to lift out of their house because they're so big, like, they went overboard, clearly. It wasn't de-stressing them. They were eating, stress eating, until they got big like that. So, as long as you're not stress eating and you're 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 eating certain things that make you happy, happiness is the enemy of stress. Just like garlic's the enemy of cholesterol. Like if you have high cholesterol, they tell you to eat garlic and niacin because garlic's the sworn enemy of cholesterol. So happiness is the sworn enemy of stress. So ice cream may not be the best thing for you, but it makes a lot of people happy. I don't eat it. It doesn't make me happy, but it makes a lot of people happy. You know? And that's what you got to do. It makes you happy. And it's not about, is it good for me? Is it bad? Is it healthy? Is it not? It's like, is it making you happy and not hurting you? Some people, a cocktail can make them happy and de-stress them and prolong their life. Some people can't stop at one cocktail and it hurts their life and damages all their loved ones. They lie to them like addicts. So we're all different. Different things make us happy, you know, and you just got to figure out what that is and, you know, really. And when you get down to the basics and you, you don't really have much, um, a well-known film director told me this. He said, I like, I like, I don't have a lot of wealthy friends. I like friends that don't come from much. I like workers that don't come from much. So why? He said, because all they can give you is themselves. And I was like, man, that's good. He said, all all they have to offer is themselves. They can't offer you money and wealth and the, these things and big luxury. Like, they're just like, I'm here. This is all I can bring to the table. And that's enough. And that's more than enough because that's all you need on a production, a movie shoot, trying to accomplish something. You need somebody there that just says, you got me, you know. Whereas other people, maybe with more money or whatever, they, you're limited on time. Hey, Greg, you got five, I got five minutes for you. I got part of me for you. Part of me's in this paying attention. Whereas somebody that doesn't come for nothing, have anything like, I'm here, Greg. I got nothing to lose because I have nothing. So let's do what. Let's do this. You know. So I thought that was interesting. It's something I'll take with me with film and stuff. It's like because I've experienced that, and like my best PAs that have worked for me. They're just excited to be there, and they're just like, I got a little Honda Accord, and I got some willpower. Let's do this, yeah. you know. It's a beautiful-